Hey there, it's time for the show, the Tatiana Show, where you make friends and talk life and crypto. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tatiana Show. People talk about decentralization and that kind of thing in the crypto space, but there are some things that are threatening our autonomy, my friends, and I'm going to be talking with some people who are working to fight against that. Uh, the patent trolls, we're getting rid of those guys. Uh, but first, before I introduce my beautiful guests, I'd like to say hello to my handsome co-host. Hey, Josh, how's it going? Hey, Tatiana, it's wonderful to be back uh, on the show. It's been a, a couple of episodes without me, but I've been listening and it's been good. So I hope everyone subscribes and goes and listens to some of those shows. Oh, thank you for reminding people to subscribe. I do not apparently do that. Uh, so today uh, we have Jed Grant and Stephen Kinsella, who are basically co-founders of an organization that is there to keep us freer in the crypto space. It's called the Open Crypto Alliance, and I'm very happy to welcome them both to the Tatiana Show. I've heard about Steven's work for many years in the libertarian space. Jed and I know each other from crypto, so this is a convergence of liberty, loving, and, and technology. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Great. So tell us a little bit about um, the Open Crypto Alliance. What inspired this? And maybe even a little bit of background about how you came to be in the crypto space in the first place, right? Because it's still a new industry, even though today we hit $50,000. Woo! Uh, so yeah, how did you get into the space and how did you found this alliance? Yeah, I've been um, a libertarian for a long time and I've been sort of the cypherpunk uh, mentality and followed that since pre, pre-Bitcoin. So I've been kind of in the space for, for as long as I can remember, at least uh, morally and, and uh, in spirit. So that's, um, that's sort of how I came about that. I'm a technologist by training and I focus on technology, cryptography, security. Um, but this particular initiative, I, I've been looking at the technology behind Bitcoin for a long time. And in around um, 2015, I started thinking about how intellectual property rights are going to be affecting blockchain. Um, 2017, I started really, really looking at that and wrote, start, wrote some articles about a coming a patent war in blockchain technology. Those are published. You can find them. Um, and then more recently, just now started the Open Crypto Alliance uh, with the aim of keeping the technology in the public domain free and, and open for everybody to use. Um, so, you know, we're there to do that. OpenCryptoAlliance.org is the website. Um, there's a lot of background there. And I think um, Stefan and I see eye to eye on a lot of these issues. So maybe I'll hand over to him. Yeah, so I'm a libertarian and a patent attorney, and I've long been opposed to the patent system uh, because of the danger it poses to innovation. Um, and I've written a lot about that. And so Jed and I hooked up. Because um, I'm also a Bitcoin enthusiast. I'm not a, as much of an expert as uh, he and my other co-founders are. But, um, you know, we're banding together to try to come up with ways to reduce the threat that the, the patents that are being accumulated now by some actors in our space are opposing to the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem. So there are different approaches to trying to defend against this. And ours is one of those one of those approaches. OK, so. Let me just ask a question. Why is a patent so terrible? Let's say somebody is new to this space. People say, oh, well, that's how you protect your stuff. 
what will be the incentive for people to incent, you know, to create something if they don't have the patent, then anybody can use it. Can you talk a little bit about that broadly? Yeah, and I've written a lot about this uh, in my uh, libertarian writing about uh, many of the problems with the patent system. Uh, the basic problem is that patents infringe property rights because they, they give the holder of the patent the ability to prevent people from using their property as they see fit. Um, and that's the actual point of the patent system is to protect the innovator from competition so that he can be free to sell his product without competition for a number of years, about 17 years. Um, so he's able to charge monopoly prices, which is bad for the market, and he's able to stop competition, which reduces innovation. Um, so it basically harms the consumer by raising prices and reducing innovation, harms competition. Um, there's really nothing good about it. As for the incentive argument, the incentive is the incentive um, that any free market actor faces, um, which is, you know, you do something because you're personally motivated to do it, you have a passion, or because you're trying to come up with a way to have an improved service or product so that you can make a profit. And this is why innovation has always been um, uh, engaged in. In the past, and even now, patents now do not incentivize innovation. What they do is they distort innovation. Um, so, for example, they they reward some types of inventions, but they do not reward other types of of, um, of intellectual creations like um, physics, physics research, mathematic research, more general abstract research. So, there's a distorting effect there. And plus, you know, if someone has a monopoly on a on a given invention then competitors, would-be competitors, don't bother competing, and so they don't bother investing in research and development to innovate and improve in that area. So it actually hampers innovation. Okay, that was a good, good argument for it. I, I, that, that makes some sense. Go ahead, Josh. One of the big arguments against it was that uh, someone would buy up uh, patents or or develop patents and then just shelve them and basically to protect themselves for maybe we'll develop this in the future and then this especially happens in medicine and then uh, someone needs a certain aspect of that drug to innovate on another drug and then that just disappears uh, because well we can't use that so we just stop working altogether and this is just one side of it it also works in music you get all sorts of people wanting to make tracks that they can't use certain clips of certain things. And in the crypto space, if you were to use one little bit of a technology to try to make it better in, an, in a total different aspect, you could be uh, you could be taken to court. And we saw that just recently with, um, well, Craig Wright taking the whole th saying that, uh, you know, the white paper is all his and uh, anyone that publishes it is going to be uh, sued. Where where can we draw the line with this thing? I mean, is Craig uh, is he able to, without proving that he's Satoshi by signing a private key, able to do that? I mean, is is that something that he could just go and take down? You know, Bitcoin.org. Um, as a as a legal matter, um, to assert a copyright, you have to be the owner. You have to be the owner, which means you have to be the author. So there would have to be some kind of proof of authorship there, which my understanding is that would be very difficult to do. Um, and number two, even if there was ownership of the copyright in the white paper, and even in aspects of the original protocol or in in the entire blockchain, which is being called a database, which is protected by copyright type law in some countries, 
not in the US, but in some countries. Um, uh, my understanding is that the, the white paper was released according to some kind of license, like the MIT license. So even, even if it had a copyright, arguably it's been relinquished by this license. So you can't sue someone for using it because you gave them permission already by the license. I haven't looked into that in detail yet, but that is what I've heard bandied about as possible defenses. Um, and furthermore, it's embedded in the blockchain, which was created by a group of people, including the original author of the white paper. So they might be what's called a stopped in the law from complaining that people are using it when they put it in embedded into the blockchain in a way that can't be, you know, it's immutable. It's in there. So um, there's lots of arguments against the copyright. But by the way, intellectual property is a broad term that covers copyright, trademark, trade secret and patents. And you see that patents are a threat, the biggest threat, I think, to Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, copyright is another, as you see with the white paper. Uh, trademark is another when people argue about the names. Some people saying that it's, it's fraudulent or theft to use the word Bitcoin to describe the BTC chain. So all three types of IP are a threat to the Bitcoin system, but the biggest is patent, in my opinion. Well, what's your argument towards people that that uh, do patent something, uh, and then release, and they and they say, and people say, why, why are you doing that? And they get all upset, and they're like, whoa, 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 we're doing this to basically let it free and make sure that no one else patents it and and patent trolls us. So we're the good guys. What do you think of that argument? Well, th that's a little bit confused. It's uh, the the IP law is very confusing. That would be more the case for copyright, but for 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 patents. Um, the way the patent system works, you can you're only supposed to be able to get a patent if you are the inventor. Okay, so if I have an invention and I don't patent it and I tell the world about it, no one else can patent it because they're not the inventor. They've learned about it from me. And furthermore, when I publicize it, I establish what's called a power. I'm sorry, a prior um, a statutory bar. Uh, once once the idea is published after one year, no one else can get a patent on it even if they independently invented it later. Um, so, and, and but there's a third point, I'm a patent attorney. I help people get patents right now because we have a patent system. I would like the patent system to be abolished, in which case my job would go away. But given that we have a system, some companies do need to obtain patents, if only for defensive purposes, like that is to countersue people that are suing them first. It's all a big waste. But if you had an invention and you wanted to make sure that the world had advantage of it and that no one else could patent it instead of spending ten thousand dollars to patent it you could just file an article or file a blog post and explain it that way and you make it public and then no one else can get a patent on it so all you have to do is do it's called a defensive patent publication or a defensive publication yeah i'm shelving the patents so if we if we look at bitcoin in particular um there are people patenting the things that are not their invention and there's nobody there to defend Bitcoin because it, it was released by Satoshi and there's nobody behind it, no organization. So basically, we're the people that have to defend Bitcoin against these uh, bad actors. And if you look at herding innovation and shelving um, technology, Schnorr signatures are a really good example of that. Uh, they're arguably much better than elliptic curve. And Bitcoin's built on elliptic curve because the patent on Schnorr signatures had just expired um, around the time Bitcoin was released. And now we're finally getting Schnorr signatures in Taproot, which will come this year, 
or next to Bitcoin. So we've had to wait a decade for an innovation that we knew about but couldn't use because of a patent. Yeah, what is the lay of the land right now? I mean, where I know that everybody else seems to be following the the um, Craig Wright trial, but I've never really followed it. So, how is this a dire situation right now? What was the impetus for this right now, and, and how does it stand? Because it does seem like some people have made some progress already against uh, against crypto, so to speak. There there are patents being being filed now, and this when when I started to think about this problem in 2017. The number of blockchain and crypto patents per year was in the hundreds. Um, by 2018, that had gotten over 1,000. Uh, 2019 saw over 10,000 patent filings in the blockchain space, and 2020, more than 11,000. So in the last two years, we have 20,000 patents that are in the pipeline, and they're going to overwhelm these patent inspectors. These guys, uh, I don't trust them to have the competence to judge every single one of these. And a lot of them may be awarded. So it's really the time to act is now. And that's why we're doing this now, because these patents have to go through a process and they can be opposed before they're granted. Um, and that's what we intend to do. That is a, a core element of our strategy. It's much cheaper to do that than to oppose them once they've been granted, because a patent inspector doesn't want to admit that they were wrong and shouldn't have granted it in the first place. Uh, I want to step back a bit to what you were saying with Schnorr signatures. What I don't understand is Bitcoin's a decentralized protocol and we didn't go with Schnorr because they were patented or and and we we weren't allowed to use them yet until they ran out, uh, which I guess was the 17 year mark. Is that correct? Right. And it, it was it could have theoretically been included in Bitcoin because it did expire just before. But there were no reliable libraries and no production implementations using Schnorr signatures. They've been simply shelved. And so now we have proven implementations that we can rely on. So what was stopping them uh, that? Was that was that what was stopping it? People, the wider community that wasn't in Bitcoin wasn't writing the libraries? Or was it that Bitcoin developers or core developers were worried about getting sued for using a technology or writing libraries for technology that was still in copy in 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 patent protection no it was i think it was more that the the creators of bitcoin were worried about using a technology that was not proven and had not been widely implemented although it was well known um, and it was more a concern of potential security flaws that hadn't been discovered as because the patent did expire i, I don't know the exact date but it expired right around 2009 2010 somewhere in there yeah, because I feel that that has put a pause on development for a long, for for too long. I mean, I think I think we should have had Schnorr in there a few years earlier, but from what I've heard, is always this patent thing always comes up. Has there been any effort to, for example, utilize an organization like Perry Ann has her organization in the United States, uh, and they are lobbying and trying to explain to the government, oh, this is why you should accept Bitcoin, which. Some freedom-minded people may say you shouldn't do, but I can understand the argument to try and influence um, legislation in that way. Is there any kind of a similar effort to try and educate different members of various governments about the problems with this, or is it just so bureaucratic that there's no use in trying? Uh, is this a special exemption that one would try and get by 
I mean, are you just playing whack-a-mole with them, or are you trying to set up some kind of policy that would prevent this from going on? There are several different aspects of what we're trying to do, and there are there are um, complementary efforts at the moment. So you have Lot Network, which is a license on transfer network, so that by joining that, uh, people can prevent themselves from being sued if, if the patents of other network members fall into a patent troll's hands. There's COPA, uh, which is rebranding to opencrypto.org, um, and, and we're in touch with. Um, COPA is more of a patent pooling uh, effort where people who have patents agree not to sue each other. And then there's us. We're trying to prevent the patents from being granted in the first place. And, and to do that, we need to crowdsource um, and, and develop a database of prior art that can be used to refer to the technology and assist uh, patent uh, granters ultimately with our information in, in blocking patents that shouldn't be granted in the first place. We also have to work together to identify patents that, that we don't believe should be granted because they are um, already prior art or they're, they're not novel, not new, etc. And we've already started on that and, and very quickly identified several hundred patents that we could go after. Um, one, one thing that I wanted to find out was how does like something like the Bitcoin Foundation, which was built, uh, you know, I was uh, very early on, um, like 2011, 12, maybe. Um, how, with, I mean, as far as I understand, they they were sort of trying to do similar things, making sure that there's a legal front for this decentralized network to be able to uh, go up against any sort of bad actors uh, that are trying to be in the space. How, how do they compare to what you're setting up right now? Yeah, let, let me let me try to paint a little bit. Um, so explain how the threat would work. So some of these owners, the alleged owners of the copyright and the patents on the technology that relates to crypto type um, um, uh, companies, they're basically threatening to shut the, B, the BTC chain down. And I think that the goal is to shut down the BTC chain and maybe some others so that some other smaller chains might rise to the fore, right? So it is an existential threat being lobbied at Bitcoin. So what you would do is you would go to the government courts and you would you would get them to recognize your copyright or your patent, and then they would issue an injunction, which is an order backed by force against against who, right? So Bitcoin is decentralized, so who are you going to order? So I guess you would go after big people, big individuals, node, node operators, you know, anyone who's got a name and they would be shut down by court order. So that's that's the real threat of the patent system. Um, so what we want to do, so so you do have like say the Lot Network and you have COPA, um, which I think was co-founded by Square. Um, and the idea there is you have members who band together and they promise not to sue each other, or they promise to, use, to lend each other their own patents so they can counter sue someone who sues them. But those really have a limited effect on third parties who are not in that network. They can still sue the people in the network. Um, third-party trolls or pirates or just uh, uh, malicious competitors. So what we want to do is we think that a, a large number of these patents being filed are probably invalid. That is, they're just they're just BS. Um, but the patent office is incompetent and overwhelmed. And the problem is once the once a patent slips through and gets approved, it has a presumption of validity, which means the burden of proof then becomes upon the defendant to prove that it's invalid. So that that gives uh, uh, the power of the patent holder to 
to extort money from people or to get them to cave in and shut down even. So our goal is to identify the most dangerous patents or the ones that are most uh, vulnerable to an attack. That is, they shouldn't be granted. And to gather the prior art, which is previous publications and patents that are relevant, and submit them to the patent office in Europe or the US where there's a patent pending and tell the patent examiner, hey, you should look at this art. You should look at these previous stuff and you should not grant that patent that's pending before you because it's obvious or it shouldn't be granted. And then once you have a few victories, the credibility of the person filing dozens or hundreds of patents starts being harmed when they want to assert the other patents later. So it might have a snowball effect, or at least it would have a um, um, a lot of good effects uh, by establishing some precedents. So the goal is to raise money from the community, hire patent attorneys who will attack patents that threaten the Bitcoin ecosystem. That's basically our, our model. That's really rock and roll, guys. I really love this. Uh, I mean, it's not something that the regular person would consider. Just the part where they can bully everybody into shutting down their nodes sounds like a real actual security threat. And people are always like, oh, it's going to kill Bitcoin, nothing. But that sounds like dangerous. Um, and also this sounds very expensive. So how many lawyers do you guys need? Because this just seems like a mammoth uh, task and it's just a lot of paperwork and that gets really expensive. So do you guys have an internship program for uh, different law schools that maybe want to learn about this? Or do you just hire straight up patent attorneys and are people donating their time? Do you have an ongoing fundraising effort going on? How can people actually help? Because this just sounds super expensive to me. Yeah, we need we need people to put in their time. We, we, and we have had a, a very, very good um, reception from lawyers who are ready to back us and, and support, particularly from uh, from South America and Central America. Uh, there's quite a bit of legal expertise there that's volunteered to come in and, and help us uh, do that. We also need technical people that can crowdsource the prior art and can read um, source code you know, and, and find prior art for us. But most of all, we, we do need funding. You know, we need money to back this so that we can pay all the fees and all the lawyers that have to fight these things. So do you guys have a donation thing set up right now or how are you how are you soliciting donations? Are you doing a telethon? I mean, this is something that I think a lot of people should be supporting. Have you done the rounds? Have you gone around to different shows? Should I tell my friends to have you guys on? Because this seems super important. Yeah, please do. And we do. You can donate on the site. So we have uh, we can accept donations on the on opencryptoalliance.org. Um, either directly by crypto or if you want to use a credit card for a recurring donation, it's fine. Um, and if anyone wants to verify um, addresses or things like that, reach out to us directly and we can arrange. That's what I was going to say. A reoccurring donation would be helpful because this sounds like it's never going to end. I don't know. This sounds I, I can't even believe you guys are trying to take this on. So excited. <laughs> Tatiana, I, I love the fact that you brought up telethons. I, to me, it just sounds very 80s. Like we're going to have a whole I bunch would do a of telethon for this. A whole bunch of celebs singing, ringing up, doing the lines. A I mean, big, this like, is a, a really counter. worthwhile effort. No, like, for sure. Are, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not sexy. You know, you guys were talking about this, and, and then I was like, oh, you know, I mean, uh, patents. I don't know much about patents. I'm like, I guess I know what they're talking about. But then when you said the thing about Bitcoin being able to be taken down by this, all of a sudden I was like, oh, wait, no, hold on. We're not going to do that. 
And and the other innovation, it's hard for a person that's not technical to appreciate why that's such a problem. But then when you think about them actually bullying companies, and I think that's what's been a problem with adoption is, okay, they can't stop Bitcoin, but then they have to harass us every time we try and get in and out of fiat. And that is a problem. And 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 remember also that, you know, it takes money to file these patents. And if you start getting a few of them slapped down, then the investors or whoever your money's coming from, they might start wondering, why am I pouring my money into all these useless patents that are going to be swatted down? Uh, so it could, you know, it's like fighting back against the bully. Sometimes they go away when you punch them in the face. Um, but re and remember also, we're we're we've only we've only been around for about three months now. I think Jake can correct me. And we have the six of us who started it. Three of us are patent attorneys, two American, one European. And um, there's lots of things people can do other than than money too. The technical people in Bitcoin, when when we get the you know the infrastructure down can help us start organizing a database of prior art. So, you know, we, we're going to lay out claims of some of the key patents and say, if you know of any publications or any prior techniques being used that are very similar to this feature, add it to the website. And then we will have a database that grows, which the attorneys can use later to more efficiently attack more and more patent threats to the system. Yeah, you guys need to be speaking at conferences about this and, well, all the conferences, right? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, this seems something that everybody in the community should really prioritize. Yeah, I've, I've, I have a problem with the Bitcoin community in, in, in this sort of thing where I find that the community is very, very hard to get money out of. Um, of it, sometimes it's very easy. Sometimes all of a sudden some big whale just pounds the just bomb and all of a sudden there's a million bucks there for you but uh, a lot of the time it's it's like getting water out of a stone um it's it, it it's really tricky and that's where i think like something like ethereum helped uh, this concept because all of a sudden people got something back they got a token back for when they sent something to there they got a token back and that represented something um it, you know that that's that's where i think that is good. I, I would like to see something in Bitcoin where you can just to show like, hey, you know, I've, I've got a proof of that. I helped I helped the alliance in, in a way or or something like that, where, uh, you know, you can unlock then special things. I don't know, something like that. But I, I do find that it's a problem with this whole thing. <laughs> right? Do we want to have public recognition of people with charitable donations? I think so. Kind of, it is good. Not everybody wants to be publicly recognized, but I think that's kind of cool. Have you guys thought about that? Right. Some people need to stay anonymous. Uh, we, we don't want our donors to be forced to be public. So we are actually going out of our way to allow people to remain uh, known only to us or anonymous. Because, um, you know, if, if you fund us and, and you happen to have a business that could be trolled, the patent troll might go straight after you because they know you gave us money. So, so we don't want that to happen. Uh, but people that want to be recognized, so I'm happy to recognize. And, and I like your idea, Josh. I think we could even do NFTs of the patents that we've shut down and give those out to people as unique uh, tokens of something they help keep free and open. And if you think about the, the threat to the technology for people that aren't highly technical, they still engage in this the debate about you know quantum crypto and the future of Bitcoin and whatnot. Think about this. If people patent all the quantum crypto algorithms, Bitcoin will be broken by quantum. We need open and free quantum algorithms that are not patented so that we can upgrade Bitcoin when the time comes. 
So this is this is the kind of innovation that we we need to keep open and free. Yeah, I one of, one of the things that the community will say is like, well, they can't shut Bitcoin down. They can't shut cryptos down once they're decentralized enough. Certain cryptos, you know. Um, why do we need this? Because who cares? I'll just implement it and they can't shut it down anyway. Um, my answer before uh, I let you guys answer that is that it's, a, and Tatiana touched on it, is that it's the on and off ramps um, that really get affected like Coinbase's, like Kraken and, and, and Volturo, um, where people, people are, are trading that into something else. Because actually the network... Well, it shouldn't really be affected. That was the whole point of Satoshi's decentralization, right? Well, even if they can't shut Bitcoin down, if you're a, a, a medium-sized or large player in the space, they can go after you and they can shut you down. If you're a corporation, you know, if you're an existing business, or they can extract money from you. And the way these things work is someone gets a patent. This is what patent trolls do. They get a patent. It's presumed valid. They send you a polite letter which says, hi, we have a patent you might be interested in. If you want to discuss it, let us know, which is a subtle way of threatening you with a lawsuit if you don't give them some of your money, right? And so it costs a couple of million dollars usually to defend a patent lawsuit even if you win, okay? And so what most people do is they say, okay, I'll pay you $50,000. I'll pay you $100,000. I'll pay you $200,000 and 0.5% royalties for 17 years or whatever. And then the troll goes to the next guy, and now they have a stronger case because they have one victim behind them, and that builds up the credibility because once you license a patent, it strengthens its validity and blah, blah, blah. So it just snowballs. And so instead of just waiting to be picked off one by one like sitting ducks, if these people band together, and you know, if they sue company A or they threaten company A, company B, C, D, and E are next in line. So if they all just pool their resources and give a little bit of money to fight the patent in its early stage, then that's a way more efficient way of fighting it than fighting a big expensive lawsuit or paying a you know non-trivial um, licensing fee. How does that work internationally, though? I mean, it seems like we're referencing the U.S. Patent Office often. Do you have to fight patents in every country around the world like i don't know how that jurisdiction is and and why is there anybody even doing it like if i was some random person in india why would i care about what happens in the, the united states for example what what you typically do is when you have an invention you file it in your home market first which is usually europe or the us let's say or asia um and then you file it within a year in other countries to to extend it and but it's very expensive to do that so almost no one files a patent in every in every country they usually file in the key countries so they'll file in europe now they'll file in the uk separately i guess after a brexit they'll file in um, uh, maybe the us maybe china they file in the key markets right where they can sue people where they, they file where the defendants are or where the players are um, so in our case, the primary damage or the primary threat seems to be coming from patents filed in Britain or Europe or the U.S. So we would identify those and go after those. And once you strike down a patent, like in let's say you strike down a patent in Europe, well, if it was filed also in the U.S. or some other country, if it's struck down in the European system, that puts a big um, – they're going to be reluctant to sue – based upon the U.S. patent, too, because they know that in court, the defendant could use the same arguments that were used to strike it down in Europe. 
Okay, that sounds manageable, I guess. Um, how long does it take to fight one of these cases? So the, the process is pretty straightforward, and the patent takes about a year from when it's filed till when it's published. And when it's published, then we learn about it. And at that time, we can start to oppose it. We can send a letter to the patent examiner, um, and it will take several months for them to, to review that and, and take our, our position into account, hopefully blocking the patent. Of course, the person who filed it will appeal against our, our um, letter, and, and we'll have to then justify so I'm not familiar with the process in the U.S. though as much. Would another way to combat this as a as a little guy would it be to run a node? I mean, should should everybody be doing that? Because if they can target these big boys, and they're going to have to capitulate. But if you know my mom runs a node, I mean, not that she does, she can never handle that. But you know, just random little people around the world wouldn't that help um, strengthen the network? Because before I almost. I asked somebody about, is it important to run a node? And I think it's such a compelling case that I needed to do that, right? Based on that conversation. But now I'm thinking, just as an act of revolution, shouldn't I do it just to support um, every everybody else in this community? I mean, what do you think about that? I think it's always a good idea to run a node. It helps the network. It, it helps you as well. Um, because you're, you're guaranteeing that your transactions can be processed by your node. Um, and, and there are even ways to make money with that. Um, if you look at Lightning, if you run a Lightning node, you can provide liquidity and get paid. Of course, it's a tiny amount of money today, but, you know, Bitcoin was, was only a few cents at the beginning, too. And this is the beginning of Lightning. So when, when Lightning has massive volume on it, if your node is trusted and has been around for many years, you know, you probably will make decent bank on, on running that Lightning node. And it's cheap to do. There, there's a company... Uh, out of Berlin, I think, um, that is selling nodes. I just bought one the other day. It's called a Raspberry Blitz. It's on a Raspberry Pi. They're about 300 bucks. You know, it's everything's preloaded, ready to go. You can just fire it up, and it uses very little electricity. Yeah, my friend uh, Rutzel here in Germany creates those. They're great. Yeah, let me let me say something also. The um, the copyright threat, which we talked about earlier with the white paper, I, I believe there have been some threats made that every everyone who runs a node or even the miners, um, every time you copy or update the blockchain and have a copy of it, you're copying the white paper. So that's an act of copyright infringement and in the U.S. and in other countries. In the U.S., at least, there's statutory damages of $75,000 or $150,000 per infringing act, which means everyone who's running a node – could be accused of cop every time every 10 minutes i guess they update the uh, they participate in updating the, the, the blockchain they're they're committing another extremely uh, expensive act and you don't want that chilling effect to to come into play now we're not fighting the copyright thing right now our focus is on patents but you guys asked earlier about ip and why it's really it's it is an arcane thing and most people think it's boring and they think it's geeky and no you need to have incentives and you you have a right to what you create but you can see what damage it does um the the idea tatiana you mentioned of lobbying the government the problem is copyright and patent are always ratcheting upwards they never go backwards almost never go backwards um Every now and then they, they talk about making an exception for pharmaceuticals or something like that, which is because you know they don't want to see people die because of patents, and it, it tarnished the whole idea of patents that way. 
But for, for something like this, for technology, there's no way they would consider an exception. Um, it's just impossible. So all we can do is fight it according to their rules. Okay, well, that sounds depressing. Um, uh, what if I don't tell anybody I'm running a node because I can't figure it out? Ha ha. Um, how do they know that I'm running a node, right? Like, would they be able to tell from my IP address? I don't know how that works technically. Yeah, and you can run a node behind Tor. It's not a problem at all, and you can keep it very hidden, and nobody has to know that you run a node. Um, and you can also run a node in another jurisdiction. So even if, like if you're a U.S. resident and you're afraid of U.S. authorities, you can actually run a node offshore. You just find a hosting provider in, in the Caribbean or in Europe or whatever and get a, get a host there and run a node there. So you can, there are always solutions to do that. Do you think that the 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 C will prevent them from from harassing you? Because, you know, now everything in the United States is so scary, right? It feels very very bad. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I can go run away somewhere. I mean, this isn't exactly to do with what we're talking about. But do you guys think that the existing infrastructure? I mean, look, we can never beat the patent system. Sorry, it's always going to suck. I mean, that's that's the answer for America. Do you see their inability to kind of escape the existing systems? Is there going to be a place where all the Bitcoiners are going to live? Are we going to become targets of future government? Do you think that that's maybe a little bit alarmist? Um, how, how do you feel about that idea? Like, is there a place for us to go? Because this is just kind of disheartening that every kind of innovation that we do, it almost provides an impetus for an actual Galt's Gulch, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thought. and it. I, I kind of like to take a different view on things, and and I think that if there was one time I could choose to be born in all of history, it would be right now, because this is the best time for humanity. We have amazing technology. We have amazing things happening. Um, the trick is just to stay smart and stay free, and and that takes um, some some effort. I mean, if you're going to be lazy about it, you probably will have your freedoms trampled on. But I think the U.S. is still a fantastic country and it's got a great constitution. It needs a little little polishing up so that we can reassert our rights. But um, I, th I think that's that's good. But I also see the U.S. falling behind a bit and smaller countries are, are taking the lead there. I mean, I, I live in Luxembourg and I, I think this country's fantastic. Um, the government here is quite open, very rational, very reasonable. Um, I don't I don't see a lot of crazy things happening. That said, the international banking system, those on and off ramps is terrible. And, the, you know, the financial system is broken, very, very broken. KYC, which I run a company that does KYC, much the way Stefan runs a patent business. I believe KYC is broken beyond repair and we need to totally replace it with something else. But um this system is the threat more so than an individual government, I believe. It's the international financial system that needs to be, uh, for lack of a better word, overthrown. No argument there. Been trying um, that for a while. Been working yeah. it. We're working on it. You know what? But here's the thing, right? I just, I, I mean, I like what you said about America. I love America. I don't, I have traveled to many, many countries around the world but at the end of the day, this place always has the best experience in terms of what it offers, right? But I feel really not very satisfied with what happened with the election. I already wasn't believing in elections for a very long time. 
um, since I saw what happened with Ron Paul in 2012. But I think that it was just such a blatantly contested event. Let's say, you know, people just felt so differently about it. I just, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know how we transition from uh, a state that benefits greatly from its its position, right? Why would they want to be deposed? I, I like the hopeful attitude. I think technology is certainly the best way to get there, but I just don't see why anybody in those positions would want to accept this technology if it's just going to take away the power. It seems like we're watching the collapse of society and all the people at the top are just gremlining and grabbing all the resources that they can, and then they're just going to run away, and that's that's life. Um so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry to be so depressing, but I mean, that it's just, I don't see how it gets resolved. It's states' rights. I think that there's a, there's a pendulum swinging, and we saw a massive federalization of, of power in the U.S. and in Europe, you know, Brussels and Washington taking all the power they can get. And I think we're beginning now to see a transition the other direction, and I think it was provoked by, by the ridiculous actions of these federal governments with, with COVID. Um, you're going to see states asserting states' rights. If I was governor of California, the very first thing I would do is declare that all Californians pay their tax to California, and California pays a lump sum to the federal government rather than having individuals pay tax to the federal government. I mean, that would put so much power into the into the state, and the, the you know the state should be able to make their own rules. That's in the Constitution. Uh, the federal government can only deal with interstate trade. So I think, and it's happening, states are asserting their rights in terms of gun rights. They've already done it with marijuana, you know, that is still illegal um, at the federal level. So I think we're going to see it happening locally. So to change the U.S. back into that freedom um, paradise, that, and, you know, the libertarian view that we share on that, is to act locally and to lobby and get your state to pass legislation that, that keeps your rights at the state level. And let the states compete. You know, the people can move to the freest state. Yeah, I, I find I find that an interesting take because, as a libertarian, you think, oh, but that's just more government because you get more of lots of little governments. But you can then choose which one you want to go to. And I, I definitely uh, do agree with you on that. That uh, being more local is obviously better. Having more local governments is better than having one gigantic, crazy, monolith, super state. Stephen, what do you think? You're a bit of a radical. I'm curious. You're sitting there, you know, stroking the chin. I want to know, do you think that there's any hope for this country? You're a lawyer. I feel like a lawyer might be either hopeful or just like, oh, my God, look, all these laws, you know, I mean, there's a billion laws on the books. How do you how do you get those back? Uh I am up. I am optimistic, but not because of the Constitution, like Jed said. We might part ways on that. It's a good country, but I'm not a fan of our Constitution. Put it that way. Uh, I don't think that's the way of progress for us. Um, yeah, I think technology is going to keep marching forward. Prosperity is going to keep marching forward. Bitcoin's going to help, I think. Uh, but yeah, the government's doing everything it can to destroy us, right, and to destroy the free market and the economy. But I remain optimistic because I don't think they're going to snuff out life. Life finds a way, and we have intelligent life now. So I don't know. I'm optimistic this week. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's You know, so I, I talked with Ross one day, and I was like, Ross, you know, you ha how do you keep it together? Uh, Ross Ulbricht in prison, and he's like, well, you know, as long as we're alive, there is reason to hope. So I, I 
fully support that. But before we end, I want to know, I, I hear criticism of the Constitution, and that could be a whole other show in itself. But what do you dislike about the Constitution specifically? Because some people will say it was a great document. I might support that. I sang about the Constitution. Most people think the Constitution's purpose and function was to protect rights, but it, it wasn't. It was to the word constitute means to make. It was to create a new central government, which predictably turned out to be the largest, most powerful central government in the history of the universe, as far as we know. So it was a mistake. It was a it was a coup. It was illegal. It was a centralizing document. It created a tyrannical state. Um, and the few paper protections of rights in there haven't done very much good. So, um, yeah, of course the Constitution was a mistake. In, in one of L. Neil Smith's science fiction books, I think it's the Galatin Divergence or the Probability Brooch, uh, it's an alternate history where the Constitution was never quite ratified. The word Constitution is an epithet. Like they'll swear, they'll say, Constitution, it's a bad day today, you know, something like that. So that's sort of my view on the Constitution is horrible. Um, I would much prefer the system we had before 1976, 1776. <laughs> Which was? That's what I'm going to say. What would be the alternative? I mean, it sounds pretty good. It doesn't sound terrible. Some of the writings of our founding fathers were were beautiful, and they, they seemed to espouse libertarian ideas. Are you saying that those guys are BSers the same way that current politicians tell us about freedom, and they're like, oh, by the way, here's the Patriot Act? Yeah, I think it sounds good for a reason. That's what propaganda does. I mean, hell, the, the, the Soviet Constitution and the Communist Manifesto and probably the North Korean Constitution sound pretty good if you read them. They dress things up in a pretty way uh, to hide the teeth behind them. But no, I mean, look, we've had wars every – but every 10 years for the last 240 years in this country, we've had uh, trade restrictions. Blacks and women didn't have rights for a long time. Uh, you know, this is not a libertarian. The country is a good country. The, the government has always been what governments are, which is evil and tyrannical. But we're, we're, we're straying from our Bitcoin <laughs> patent defense topic, but that's okay. That's me. Well, no, but what we're talking about here is building a new framework. So I think that's why it's an exciting thing to to kind of delve into, right? We have the things that we learned from the previous experiment, and now we have the ability to potentially make a uh, a new framework that is um, better for everybody. I hope, but hopefully not tyrannical. Yeah, what's what's the best way to people to to grab uh, your attention and and to help you guys out? What how do, how do people help out? They should reach out to us, uh, opencryptoalliance.org. Um, reach out to us directly by email, by LinkedIn, donate. We're here. We want to get this moving. We're all volunteers, and we're all working on other jobs and projects as well. So if we don't answer an email in, in you know 20 minutes, don't take it personally. Uh, but we, we are here, and we want to move this forward. And, and putting all of that discussion we just had now into the context of of rights, even if the Constitution is not the greatest document. If you look at Bitcoin uh, and you write down your seed phrase and hide it somewhere very secret, Bitcoin is speech. And if you look at the other aspect of Bitcoin, Bitcoin is property. And there is a lot of law for free speech and property rights. So, you know, Bitcoin has some things going for it in the system uh, that we can leverage. 
All right. Well, everybody, this has been a really cool conversation. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you want to talk about matters of the heart because you're sick of crypto stuff, go to proofoflovecast.com. Listen to uh, some crypto people and some regular people talk about fun stuff. Uh, And uh, that's it. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Make sure you donate to the Alliance. And uh, that's it. What's the point of all this technology without a little love in our lives? Our hosts, Tatiana Moroz and Lauren Kasovitz, have come together to bring you Proof of Love. Go to proofoflovecast.com. The Tatiana Show has been brought to you by CryptomediaHub.com, a boutique marketing and PR agency for Bitcoin and beyond. Hey there, it's time for the show. The Tatiana Show, where you make friends and talk life and crypto. We gotta think and reflect and use lots of intellect with our hearts when we work together. I know that it can be so hard out there. Looking all around and saying that life ain't fair. So that is why we will fight and stay up late at night. Listening to the Tatiana Show. Thank you for listening to the Tatiana Show. Please follow us on Twitter at Queen Tatiana or on Facebook and Instagram at Tatiana Moreau's Music. More episodes can be found at thetatianashow.com, and make sure you leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends. You are listening to The Tatiana Show. This show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening. Nothing you hear on The Tatiana Show is intended as financial advice, legal advice, or really anything other than entertainment. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're listening to us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network that you're listening on or of any sponsors or any affiliate products you may hear about on this show.